Welcome back again, everybody. This is our last episode on the series about confession. So here we go. Uh, there's a there's questions out there about like what a, well what about bad priests, right? And this is actually um, specifically it came up in the very beginning of the of the church in the very early church. They talked about well what about a priest that's in sin? Are the sacraments through him? still valid. And specifically, the early church dealt with that about the Eucharist, right? And so the early church had this issue. People were asking like, well, this priest is a huge sinner and are is the Eucharist still valid through him? Is confession, is his absolution still valid through him? And the church has to say yes, right? Because every single per- person in the church is a sinner all the way up from the all the way up to the Pope and all the way down through the bishops, the priests, the deacons, everybody. Everybody is a sinner in need of it. So Jesus, because of his grace, through the sacrament of holy orders, uh, through his priests, he will always, it'll always, always, always be valid. It'll always um, be efficacious. The Eucharist will always be the Eucharist no matter what because if it depended on the priest's uh, holiness, well, then I don't know of any sacraments that would be valid, right? <laughs> so um, so what about the sacrament of confession? Like, what about those bad priests? Well, it's the same, it's like an analogy of like going to a doctor, right? So if the doctor who's in bad health, right? So like, let's say he's a smoker, he eats like crap, um, he's got bad teeth, he can still give me a prescription and give me guidance to help me out to actually heal me. So we're all sinners, we all need confession, so everybody needs confession as well. And um, and even if like you don't favor a priest, he's still a priest and he still has the power uh, to validly forgive you of your sins, to absolve you from your sins in the sacrament of confession. So um, if I wouldn't get too picky about the priest that we're going to, if it, especially if you're in, in mortal sin, right? So go run to confession and have your sins forgiven in this beautiful gift of confession. And uh, just on that as well, highly recommend getting a confessor, which means having one priest that you go to uh, for your confessions, uh, because then that way they know you, they can offer better advice, they know what you're going through, they know what you're working with, they know your heart, they know what you struggle with, and what can truly be helpful for you. So it's really, really beneficial. And this is uh, wisdom, all of this is wisdom from the saints themselves, the people that are closest to God, right? So now they're saints in heaven, big capital S saints, like in Hebrew says, they're they're the spirits of of men made perfect. Um, so they were so close to Jesus and intimate with Jesus and they frequented the sacrament of confession and had a confessor. So just some thoughts and some advice on that. And back again to the bad priest thing, Jesus works through all of his priests, regardless of their own state, just as how God worked through his priests in an, in an inferior covenant of the old covenant and the old Testament, right? Uh, even when they were bad, he still worked through them. Now God works even more powerfully through his priests in the everlasting covenant established in Jesus, right? Jesus will always work through his ordained ministers for his people, the church, the body of Christ to be built up. Um, so let's dive in. I really want to talk about uh, just a few um, uh, let's talk first talk about the examination of conscience. I'll leave a link 
in the notes for a good examination of conscience. This one's like, I'll, I'll leave a short one uh, and then a long one, but it, it's always good to start with like the Ten Commandments, right? And when you go down there, it's, uh, I have no God other than than God, right? So do I have any idols in my life? Am I choosing anybody, anybody or anything else over God himself? Um, that would be a mortal sin. Using the Lord's name uh, in vain, which means to use his name with, with no reverence, right? To curse his name, to use it willing, like uh, just like flippantly, um, and to keep the whole, the Sabbath holy, right? So in the old covenant, it was Saturday. Um, it was a sin to not go on Saturday. That was the Sabbath day. It was holy. Sunday is the Christian's Sabbath, right? Because Jesus did not rise on any other day. He rose on a Sunday. So we need to go to mass on a Sunday because that is honoring, reverencing, worshiping our God that deserves all glory. So out of love, we always do what uh, love commands us, right? So just like um, our in a marriage, we don't, we shouldn't uh, treat it as like a check the box type of thing where, well, I just need to do this, or I just show up, or uh, I'll just, I'll miss, I'll skip out on something that important this day. It's the same thing. We need to do the things that love requires us to do. And God has shown us how to love him and therefore we need to do it. So we need to go to mass on Sunday. We need to keep him above all things. We need to honor our parents. We need to not lust over material things or uh, or each other. We can't lie. We can't steal. We can't murder. The murder one is gossiping. Like in our world, a lot of people that's listening to this right now, like we think like, oh, I don't, well, I'm not going to murder somebody. But Jesus says, even those who talk bad about our, our, our brother has committed, kid admitted murder. Who's ever lusted over a woman has committed adultery, right? So Jesus, he didn't come to just forgive us our sins and let us do whatever we want. He actually forgave us our sins and gave us power to have supernatural love, his love living within us. And so he actually elevates the moral standard of a Christian than it was even in the old covenant. So remember all those, all, we always think of the Pharisees who were like these super religious, uh, they, were, they were whitewashed tombs. They were doing, they loved the law. They were doing the things that they thought were required to uh, have their people um, close to God, right? They're under this law and they were doing all the things necessary for it, but they didn't know, they weren't getting back to the very reality and the very thing that uh, that God truly wants of uh, of us to have a pure heart, that everything in a heart is what defiles a person, right? Jesus says. So it's not like what we do, these external things in order for us to look good. No, he wants us to look into our hearts like, why are we doing these things? So Jesus actually heightens all of it. He raises the bar for the moral standard because now he's not just saying do the external things. He's saying out of your heart, your heart needs to be purified in order to do these things. You need supernatural love. You need supernatural uh um, gifts in order to do this, and I'm raising the bar. So we think of the Pharisees being of these like strict uh, lawmakers and all these things, and that's bad. But actually, Jesus is even more strict when it comes to morality. So like when they talk about marriage and he's, they ask about divorce, he says, "In the very beginning, it wasn't so. That it was only that for the hardness of your heart that God uh, that that Moses gave you the uh, bill of divorce, but." 
never divorce your wife. Divorce is not okay. In the very beginning, it says that man and woman shall become one flesh and to never, uh, whatever God has bound together, let no man separate. So the two become one flesh and can never separate. So he raises the bar on marriage. Then he says, even um, even a man who lusts in his heart has committed adultery. So when we fantasize, when we think of other people, when we lust over people, we're committing adultery. He raises the bar again. And those who gossip about people is, are committing murder of their brother. So he raises the bar again. Look into your hearts. Wash the inside of the cup and therefore the outside of the cup will be clean too. It's the, from the inside of the heart that defiles a man, right? It's not what you eat. It's not these external things. And it's the grace of Jesus working in our hearts to purify us, right? To be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. To be pure as He is pure. To love like He loves. To become one with Jesus. To be conformed to Him, right? That's the whole mission is to live heaven here on earth. Is there any of those things happening in heaven? No. It can't be the part of the Christian life. It just can't be because we have to imitate Christ. We want to be conformed to him, to participate in his divine nature here on earth, to fulfill his Our Father prayer, to fulfill the the Beatitudes, to fulfill righteousness, to fulfill love, right? This radical discipleship of Jesus. And it's impossible without him. Anything apart from Christ is impossible. You can do nothing apart from me, Jesus says. And St. Paul even says, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. It's because Jesus says himself that, like when someone asks, what shall I do to be saved? Keep the commandments. And then the Pharisees say, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those two, it's love that fulfills the law. It's love that fulfills the law. When That's why Jesus um, on the cross is the greatest image of love because it was perfect love for God and for us. He, it was the greatest perfected act of charity. And that's why Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Because it's that act of love, like he loves, is the greatest act of love of God and for neighbor. It's like St. Maximilian Kolbe, who is a Catholic priest in the in Auschwitz, uh, in the Nazi concentration camps. And he takes the place of another man who was going to be murdered with 10 other people because men the night before tried to escape the camp. So they pick out 10 men to... to um, to murder right on the spot in front of all these people. And the 10th guy stands up when they call him and he says, please, please, no, do not take me. I'm a father. I'm a husband. And St. Maximilian Colby stands up and says, take me. And they say, why? Because I'm a Catholic priest. I don't have a family. I don't have anybody else. I will die for him. I will die for that man. And they let him go. And actually, and then uh, uh, Father Maximilian Colby was in the was tortured for two weeks. He sang hymns. He taught people how to pray the rosary. He, uh, They literally were so annoyed at, from his singing of praising God for a two full weeks of in torture that they ended up just poisoning him. And he was beatified in, um, by Pope John Paul II during his papacy. And the person that he took his place, that person was there to see him canonized. That's perfection of love love of God and love of neighbor. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. That's why martyrdom is so great. 
there's no greater than lo- love than this to lay one's life down for one's friend, right? You will, it, you, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, right? They will know you're, you're my disciples because you, because of, because of your love. Love fulfills the entire law. If I have love for God, I will never, I will never have an, an idol. I will never say his name in vain. I will never miss mass. If I love my neighbor, I will never gossip. I will never hurt somebody. I'll never lie, cheat, steal, lust. I love them. Love perfects everything. So that is a great way to do an examination of conscience. Where have I failed to love? Where Even if it's something that I didn't do, I failed to do it, right? So examination of conscience, look at the Ten Commandments and look at through it the lens of love, the lens of Jesus. Put on, ask Jesus right before, uh, in, right before you go to bed. Jesus, give me your eyes in my life today. Where was your grace and where did I not cooperate with that grace? Where did I see somebody hurting and I didn't act? Where did I actually wound somebody else? Where did I act out of pride, fear, um, had this selfishness, this these intentions? Show me my intentions, Jesus. Purify me, please. So start with that. Like That is a great examination of conscience right there. Just asking Look, looking through the Ten Commandments, through the lens of love, which is the lens of Jesus, where did I not love God or, or neighbor with my whole heart? And that is a great way to start with an examination of conscience. But I will leave that in the show, in the in the notes for links for them, um, for a more uh, detailed one if it helps you if you're if you're newer to that. Um, but an examination of conscience is awesome. I do it once a day. Um, it, most of the time I do it once a day and I try to do it twice a day. It would be ideal to kind of do like a midday examination of conscience. Um, so yeah, that is, uh, those are like, yeah, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I'm fired up right now. Um, but, uh, I think right now too, why is missing? It's such a huge issue in the church of people thinking that, well, I can go on any other day. Well, Jesus didn't rise on Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. He rose on Sunday. We have to go to church on Sunday. That is our Sabbath as Christians. We go on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, just like St. Paul talks about in his letters, meet, gathering on the first day of the week, when John and Revelation, he is lifted up on the first day. Jesus is obviously risen on the first day, which is a sign of the new creation. The first day is also the eighth day, sign of the new creation. And Christians, we have to go to church on Sunday. Keep Sabbath, keep the, the Sabbath holy and to love God with all your heart. And that is the least we could do is go to mass. And that's why prayer is so uh, is so important because just like marriage, um, like when we receive communion, we're in union with Jesus. It's the bridegroom and the and the bride coming together as one to form one flesh. That's why the sacrament of marriage is so beautiful because it reflects that that union of Christ and His Church. Just like Ephesians five says, that sacrament of of marriage points to that to that reality of the one flesh union of Christ the head and his church, the body, um, the bridegroom with the with the bride. And so now that we have that imagery of the bridegroom Jesus with his bride, the church, and if I'm Jesus's bride, I can't just go talk to him for an hour on a Sunday. Like that would essentially be like a, a man avoiding his wife for an entire week and then for an hour out of every single week, he says, 
hey, let's let's perform the marital act now. Let, let's just get this thing done. That's not love. Love is this intimate communication, this intimate dialogue, this intimate union every single day. And the highest form of that is in the Mass. But before the Mass, we need to deepen our prayer life with Jesus. And part of that, I think, is the examination of conscience every day. Um, so we need to go to, to uh, Mass on Sunday. And even uh, in the New Testament, they even talk about that in Hebrews 10. He's, he, uh, the author of Hebrews 10 talks about how people are avoiding together on Sunday. So he says this in Hebrews 10, 23-25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, and then he follows up with this. If we sin deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful prospect of judgment and a fury of fire with, will consume the adversaries. So we see this beautiful imagery of of gathering together on Sunday, the need for it. And then he goes on to talk about the heavenly worship of uh, in Hebrews 12 and Hebrews 13, the heavenly Jerusalem in union, the body of Christ here on earth in union with the heavenly worship, all the angels and saints around us with the spirits of just men made perfect and the angels and saints. And we have our high priest, Jesus, leading it and his blood is the mediation uh, and the sacrifice of the mass, right? And, um, and he also talks about how we need to persevere in our gathering together and our prayer and our life to be repentant and when receive that knowledge of the truth to remain in it, right? Um, and that is at the very beginning of the church, the very mass itself, just like uh, um, St. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 11, where when if we eat and drink the body and blood of our Lord, we receive him in an unworthy manner. We draw judgment upon ourselves. So in the very early church, they actually looked at the sacrifice of the mass as this, this participation and also this uh, sign of the second coming of Christ where there's judgment and life, right? So you can either receive life by coming to him repentant and uh, being in a pure state and receiving his body and blood of life. But if you receive the body and blood, you're liable to the death of Christ himself and therefore we're judged. And that's exactly what Hebrews 10, 26 is talking about. If we sin deliberately, just like that's a mortal sin, right? It's gravely, we know it's wrong, we still do it. After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful prospect of judgment. So, in the sacrifice of the Mass, we encounter that sacrifice of sins. Jesus poured out that love of Christ that happened 2,000 years ago is actualized here and now. It enters into our life now. And the heavenly worship enters into our life now. It's what happened and is what is yet to come happens here and now at the Mass. Or we receive actual judgment if we have mortal sin on us. That's how, that is how real this is, guys. We have to take this to heart. We and it's because it's not that we're doing something for God because he needs it. He actually is doing this for us. The liturgy, the mass, the sacraments, all these things are not people doing stuff for God. It's God doing stuff for his people. It's God acting in the liturgy. It's God acting in the sacrament of confession. All these things are gifts. It is not man-made. It is not us fulfilling something that God is, is, is lacking in his life. 
God is always acting. We love because he first loved us. He is the one that instituted all of this. He is the one that gives us these gifts. We have to come to receive life himself because it is the very offer of salvation that is on the line every single day. <laughs> like Jesus wants us to live a life in power here and now. Um, so yeah, that is the reality of the mass, the sacrament of confession and the reality of purifying our hearts. Jesus elevates uh, the law because he is calling us to be perfected in his love. Do not ever undermine the grace of Christ in our lives. He, his grace is so much greater. The impossible is impossible without God. The impossible is the very thing that Jesus died for, the very th- thing that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives, to have that power from on high, to weed out all the crap that takes us away from having freedom, to having that right relationship with God and neighbor, what it's all about. Christianity comes down to literally one thing, right relationship. And that is what Jesus is all about. That was his full mission. And that is what the church is all about. And that is what the sacrament of confession is all about. To purify our hearts, to look more like Jesus every single day, to be conformed to the image of Christ, who is the eternal son of of God, so that now we can participate in that sonship, that we are children of God. And God is a good, good father. That is why the entire mystery of the Christian religion is that it is a fa- God. It's God Himself, Family, Son, Holy Spirit, is a communion of a family. It's a communion of persons. It's a family relationship. It's this giving, and that's always what He's wanted to invite us into as human beings to invite us into the family of God. And that's why it's so. Im- this is so critical to have the lens of family. That's why we all need each other. That's why we need the saints. That's why we need the church. That's why we need each other. Just as St. Paul says, do not say that the hand doesn't need the foot. We all need each other. We're one body in Christ and we all need each other. This is a family affair, right? We all need each other. And God is a good father and he treats us like his children, right? That's why he gave us a sacrament of confession. Um, he treats us He treats us like children, to come to him in repentance, to confess on what he's always trying to do, what he tried to do with Adam, now he does with us in the new covenant. Come, I will run to you, just he says, like Jesus says in the prodigal son parable, the father will run to you. It's his grace that will move you to come back home. And he rejoices when he finds you in the sacrament of confession. Please come, rejoice. He will give you the ring for authority, the feet, the new shoes for mission, and the robe to share in his authority, to be a son, to receive royalty. That is what we are. We are children of God. He loves us so much. That's why he he treats us like children. And we experience that fatherly love in the sacrament of confession. When we come and turn to him, he embraces us. He loves us so much. He's waiting for you. He loves you. He desires you. He longs for you to have that right relationship with him, to give you power to love like him, to love him fully, to love neighbor fully. He's waiting for you. I'm praying for you all. God bless you.